0: Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you have joined with us, uh, all of you here, as well as those who uh, at our campus in Stevens Point and those on the west side is now uh, started their uh, Wednesday night gatherings over there. Glad that you guys are with us via video. Yeah, let's hear it for them. Keep on moving on. We are in the book of Ruth. We're in the Old Testament. We started in Genesis and just haven't stopped. Now, Ruth is an interesting book. Uh, there. Are There's no great doctrinal truths or revelations in that sense uh, here. The the biggest revelation is just uh, now the Bible is starting to focus again on a specific family, as we saw back with Abraham and then to Joseph and how they wound up in Egypt. Then comes Moses that brings them all out. They take over the promised land. Now they're, you know, living like crazy people during the book of Judges and and, uh, everybody doing whatever they thought in their own eyes. Uh, the Bible says, uh, but then we have this book of Ruth, this little tiny book here, where it tells this really wonderful, heartwarming story, and, uh, but it points us to the line of David. We're going to start focusing on King David, and uh, from his line, again, started with Abraham, and now David specifically from his line is going to come the Messiah. Jesus was often referred to as, as you read through the Gospels, people referred to him as the son of David. Everybody knew. This was his lineage. Um, In fact, the very reason that um, he was born in Bethlehem is because, you know, Caesar Augustus said everybody had to go back to the home of their fathers and that was from Bethlehem. This is where this is all taking place, in the city of Bethlehem. Anyway, uh, Ruth is uh, the the daughter-in-law of Naomi. They were living uh, over in Moab because of of a famine in the land uh, and uh, her Sons married Moabite women. One of them was Ruth, and uh, but then both sons died, and the father died, and then Ruth or, or Naomi decided to go back. She asked her daughter-in-laws to stay. One did, but Ruth hang, held on to her and said, "I will not leave you. I will go wherever you go. I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people." I mean, she just had a complete, total dedication to uh, to Naomi. So they come back. They're very poor. Um, there's no man to take care of them, and, which was a big deal at this time in this culture. Uh, so what they were doing was going through uh, different fields and uh, gleaning. The rule was that when people uh, had a harvester or whatever of, of wheat, they were not to be so stingy that they could leave some behind so that the poor could come and pick some up so they'd have something to eat. And uh, anyway, Ruth knew, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Naomi knew that there were some kinsmen in line that if they wanted to, could exercise their right to purchase all of uh, her husbands, dead husbands, now possessions, and have rights into uh, actually to take Ruth as, as the wife. What the chances of that, they didn't know, but Ruth was hoping against hope that that would, would happen. So he, she basically sets, I'm sorry, Naomi was hoping against that and, and, was, and set Ruth up, to uh, connect with Boaz, who was one of these kinsmen redeemers who could, if, they, if, she, if he chose to, to redeem that property and marry Ruth. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so now we pick it up at chapter 3. So uh, Ruth had been introduced to Boaz, and there was kind of some tension there, and he kind of likes her, and there's a little flirting going on. And, uh, and then uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, "My daughter, should I not try and find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you've been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be at the winnowing; he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So wash and perfume yourself, get all dolled up, put on some, put, put on your best clothes. You know, if you're gonna go fishing, you gotta get some tackle and stuff. So anyway, uh, <laughs> gotta get the worm, man. So." uh uh, get all warmed up and go down there and then uh, to the thirsty floor. But don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And then this, this is the mother-in-law setting this up. So he says, now when he lies down, note where he's lying and then go and uncover his feet, which was the custom uh, to connect with this redeemer, uh, kinsman, and lie down. And then he will tell you what to do so she said well I'll do whatever you say I mean Ruth didn't really know any of of the customs and stuff so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything the mother-in-law told her to do so when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits (laughs) he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile very 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 romantic you know Uh, so anyway Ruth approached quietly after he's asleep uncovered his feet and then lay down so now there's nothing untoward here. I mean, it's not like she's in his bedroom. Okay, the dude is just sleeping on the floor on the thresh threshing whatever floor, and the assumption is other guys were probably you know sleeping wherever. You know, there was nothing icky, weird going on here. It's just these guys would get you know all when they were working the fields and doing all this thing at the, at the threshing floor got full, and then they would go just crash and sleep. Well, so if she comes in the middle of the night. And does this so in verse 8 in the middle of the night something startles the man meaning Boaz and then he turns and he sees this woman lying at his feet which is like uh, okay and he says who are you and then she reveals herself says, I am your servant Ruth she said spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer now this is really kind of ballsy on her part you gotta hand it to her I mean she, she, she just goes for it she's not messing around You know, she basically says, redeem me. I want you to redeem me. I want you to have me. Now, again, they had met. There had been some of the tension, and he'd be kind of flirting with her and being real nice to her. Well, you know, this is not unusual oftentimes in a relationship that it's the girl that says, all right, move on. Let's go. Are you doing it somewhere or not? Okay? And, uh, you know, ideally all romantically, it should be the man making the first move and la, la, la. Well, you can see. Thousands of years ago, it was still this way, you know. So she basically says, come on! I was going to use a phrase, but I won't be nice. Uh, <laughs> something about getting off the pot. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, so she, she calls him out. And, then, and, and it kind of startles him. Because, now we don't know how old he is, but we're about to get the implication here that he's older in years. Um, I don't know if he's in his 30s, if he's in his 40s, what the deal is, why he hasn't been married, we don't know. Um, she had been married to uh, Naomi's son for 10 years. Now, in those days, you know, she probably got married to him when she was like 14 or something. You know, that's just the way it was. Uh, Ezekiel tells us about the time women girls had breasts they were up for marriage you know that's all it took so assuming she let's say she was 14 10 years that puts her at 24 maybe she's 25 or so, so she's fairly young here at this point point. and he he senses this again we know that he likes her and he's been flirting with her and then she all of a sudden she's there and what are you doing here and she calls him out and says redeem me you have the right to take me as your wife and whoa so he his response is well the lord bless you <laughs> God bless you, man. It's pretty cool. He says, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. So again, he's kind of surprised that, wow, that's awfully neat because you haven't gone over the younger guys. So again, the assumption here is that he's got to be older and uh, she hasn't been interested in younger men. She's just been interested in this one guy, which would have been the right thing to do. And she was so committed to her mother, to her, to her mother-in-law, whatever Naomi said, she was so obedient. So anyway, she says, so he says to her, well, now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. So he basically says, okay, I'm, I'm game. You know, again, she was the one who basically approached him. You're going to marry me or what? Okay. And, and he goes, wow. And he says, okay, I'll do that. But he says, all my fellow kins, uh, townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. And although it is true that I am near of kin there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I there was, there was the, a line of command whoever was the next closest relative really had first dibs and then if he didn't take her then somebody else could and it just kind of went down the line is how it went so I don't know if Ruth knew anything about this other guy or stuff like that so anyway she calls him out and he says I would love to do this but I don't know if you know it or not there's someone closer to you than I am so we need to check this out here first so he said stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to redeem you good let him redeem. He, got, he has first dibs. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. So he's, he's just kind of yee okay? So, so lie here until morning. Again, nothing naughty going on here. Obviously, there had to be some kind of sexual tension happening there, chick laying at his feet, you know. But they behave themselves, as they should. So she laid his feet until morning, but got it before anyone could be recognized. And then he said, obviously, to the other guys, don't let anybody know a woman came here on the threshing floor. Ooh. Okay, so then he says to her, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. And then he went back to town. So he basically gives her a whole bunch more food, which was a big deal. Uh, This is, uh, they were so poor. Okay, they were thrilled just getting for the little bit they got from him before. So, okay, so, uh, da, 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 he went back to town. Verse 16, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, how'd he go, how'd he go, how'd he go? Okay, so the mother-in-law's egging the whole thing on. She's like, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Okay, so so she's all jazzed, and then she told Naomi, everything Boaz had done for her, and, added, and then he gave me six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi was just jazzed. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's my translation. Ooh, ooh, and, and says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until this matter is settled today. She was all excited. She said, oh, this is so great, this is so great. Okay, so now meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat there. And when the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, I don't think he ever gives the guy's name, Uh, Boaz said, hey, come over here, my friend, sit down. So he went over and sat down. Well, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so because they had to have, you know, witnesses for all this this transaction. (laughs) Uh, Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, look, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, uh, do so. Uh, But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to it except you, and then I am the next in line. Now, at this point, they're strictly talking property. It really was a property deal, and as a side benefit or not, you got the girl, okay? Well, the guy goes, cool, I'll redeem it. I'll take it. Okay, and then Boaz Boaz said, Okay, now, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth and Boabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow. You get the girl too in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Well, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, "Uh, No, 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 it won't work for me. Okay, I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. And uh, he was afraid that if something happened to him... Then she would inherit part of the land, and you know, one of those property. I don't know how much money this guy had, but it was basically, basically, just a money deal. I don't want, any, in case anything happens, I don't want my heirs to have to share it with her or whatever. Okay, so you redeem it. He's like, I can't do it. If I get the chick, then I don't want it. All right, very romantic. All of this isn't as fabulous. So, anyways, he's now in earlier times. Parenthetically, the writer inserts this. For the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. Have a shoe. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Very bizarre. So anyway, the Kisman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. And then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Melamech, whatever his name, Kilian and Melon, Uh, the sons. And I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his people or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring... The Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. So they basically just pronounce this big blessing on him. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her, which means you know what, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son, which is her first son. Apparently the other guy, nothing was happening there so she gets pregnant with uh, Boaz and then the woman said to Naomi see the thrill for Naomi the grandma now praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer may he become famous throughout Israel he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter in law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth and then Naomi the granny took the little boy and laid him in her lap and cared for him And the women, the living Sarah there said, Naomi has a son, Uh, obviously a grandson. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. So now we're really getting down to the grassroots of why they went through this whole account in the first place. Again, it's a wonderful, neat little story, you know, a biblical love story, if you will, uh, right in the middle of all this insanity with, with the book of Judges. Uh, so, and then they bring us to David. This is where this is all headed. So then, this is the line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram of Aminabab. Aminabab of Nashon. Nashon of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. By the way, well, remember it was Salmon who married. Remember, remember? Rahab. Rahab. Thank you. Somebody's paying attention. Give that man nothing. Rahab. <laughs> Uh, and the, the, uh, the harlot, remember, Rahab the prostitute who helped them uh, take uh, the city of Jericho. She converts to Judaism. Eventually, it's Salmon marries, then Obed, or then Boaz. I think it was Salmon, or National, one of those, yeah, Boaz. And then the father who became the father of Obed, who was just born, then Jesse, and then Jesse, the father of David. Da, 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 da. Okay, so now the focus biblically in history from this point on now has taken another big shift. Okay, it's focusing on the line of David. How did David get to where he was. How did he become this incredible young man who takes on Goliath and becomes this great king and establishes Israel uh, in such strength and has Solomon as his son who goes on and all, all this very incredible stuff. So now that's where we're going with the biblical narrative, which brings us to the book of 1 Samuel. Okay? So now they're going to back up a little bit and kind of put into context where David how David got into the picture as far as uh, being a king of Israel. David, by the way, was not the first king of Israel. He was the second, which we're about to learn here. Okay, so let's pick it up at 1 Samuel now. We're in a new book of the Bible. There was a certain man from Ramayith, or whatever, a Zophite on the hill, country of Ephraim, and then uh, whose name was... Elkanah, Elkanah son of Jerom son of Elihu son of Tohu son of Zubub, Zuf good grief an Ephraimite anyway he had two wives so Elkanah or Elkanah or however you say it has two wives one was called Hannah and the other uh, Penina. sounds like a sandwich I'll have a chicken, Panina. <laughs> or Penina. I don't know how you pronounce these names. Good grief. We all know Hannah because it's a name that became very pop- popular biblically. Panina uh, or whatever wasn't popular because we'll see in a minute. Panina wasn't very nice and Hannah was blessed of the Lord. Hence, people were more inclined to name their girls Hannah and to this day. Okay. So, anyway, uh, Panina had children, uh, but Hannah had none year after year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord so we got Eli this name is introduced Eli is coming Eli is there okay and he's a priest and he's supposed to be obeying God he's got these two sons who are priests they turn out to be real rascals and dirty rats dirty rotten scoundrels which we'll find out in a little bit okay so uh, this guy would come up every year with his two wives and sacrifice and worship God uh, and offer sacrifices. Okay, so, so whenever the day came from El- Elkanah, Elkanah, however you say it, to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to her, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. He had compassion for her, so he was always a little extra nicer to Hannah. She's all by herself. The other girl had, you know, boys and daughters and whatnot. And so they came and they would take this, uh, the, the sacrifice, the animal sacrifices. And I, it was a sacrifice because they, they were the one who were sacrificing. It wasn't like it was a sacrifice to, you know, costing God anything. There was a sacrifice for them. This is meat. Uh, these animals were of great value uh, in that culture, even to this day. I mean, you, a cow's worth a lot of money. You know, these guys would take sometimes all kinds of bulls and everything. They would just burn them up in front of God okay, as a sacrifice. They were the ones who were sacrificed. Something that could have been money to them, they just let go and said, God, we're just going to let this go up in smoke as a commitment uh, and in worship to you. So, okay. Now, because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. That's why not too many people are called Penina today. Uh, This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her and just just it needled her. It was just mean to her until she would cry and she wouldn't be able to eat. She'd get so upset because this other wife was so mean to her. Well, Elkanah, her husband, uh, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I'm such a good man, you know. And he's trying to encourage her and stuff. So anyway, check this out. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair down by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, "O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remind me and do not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Who's that sound like? Samson. You know, this was this commitment that we would dedicate the child to God. And in this case, she wouldn't even keep the child. If you give me a son, uh, and you'll find out after she weaned him, she'd bring him to the temple, and she would just dedicate him to God all his life. And anyway, as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Now, this is really significant. Check this out. Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips weren't moving. Or, oh, and her lips were moving, just real you know, gently, but her voice was not heard. So, Eli thought she was drunk. Now, check that out, how different the culture is today. Because traditionally, people always prayed out loud. Okay? So, if back then, if you were up there and you were praying like this, the guy thought you were drunk. Today, if you pray out loud, they think you're drunk. <laughs> right? I was a complete flip flop. Now, everybody just pray quietly. <laughs> Yeah, don't say anything. But the culture was to lift your voice to God. Now we do both here, and it's, and it's perfectly fine. Uh, but let me encourage you in your own prayer time. You don't have to yell and scream and stuff like that. But pray out loud. Pray out loud to God. Let your let your own ears hear your words as they go up to God. And, and, and uh, uh, certainly it was the traditional way that they prayed in the Old Testament. So anyway, he gets ticked off because her mouth's moving. You he can't hear anything. She, he thinks she's drunk. So he says. So he rebukes her. How long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of the wine. And he says, she went, whoa, not sold, my Lord. I'm, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And then Eli says to her, well, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. He has no idea what she was asking, but he says, may God give you the answer to your prayer. And she said, may your servant, referring to herself, find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Well, early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Uh, Elkanah, Elkanah, however you say it, lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived. da, 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 da And named him Samuel, saying, because I asked, the Lord for him. And uh, Samuel basically means uh, heard heard from God, heard of God, you know, God heard me. Um, When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice now to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. So she just wanted to spend what time she had with this little rug rat. And and he said, well, do what seems best to you because obviously he knew of the vow And people took their vows to God very, very, very seriously. And uh, he said, well, stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. I don't know how old that was. Um, You know, I'm not sure what the tradition was at the time. Sometimes you can wean a boy until he's... Three, four five years of age, you know I don't know that he was that old. Uh, he wasn't, I don't think, really, really young, like a year child. He was obviously old enough, after weaning, that he could function on his own. And after that, she brought him to, to the temple. So after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they'd slaughtered the bull. They brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. So, oh, my goodness, how hard that had to have been. I I can't even begin to imagine what that took on the inside of this lady to have taken this little boy again maybe as early as two years maybe it was three or four or five I don't know but at any age to bring him and say okay here he's yours now I don't know what Eli thought of this arrangement you know don't drop your kids off at the church here here I'm giving him to God you know hand <laughs> him over to Pastor Lathan. you know but he's 16 I don't care take him you know God can have him so so anyway, so he, Eli takes the boy, and the boy is now going to be a servant, uh, in the temple of the Lord, and uh, wow. So then, chapter two, Hannah prays this prayer, this um, you know poetic prayer and stuff. like that. You can read this on your own. I, I, we'll skip over it. Um, and then after she was then done, then El- Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Okay, now. Eli's son were wicked men. Okay, these are the dirty, rotten scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servants of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. Now, uh, what we're seeing here is, is something that's been well established by this point, and even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament referred to it, which basically is this: that it is right for those who minister to the Lord to take some of the offerings to live themselves. Okay, uh, uh, you know, which gives the argument for. I think Paul quoted the scripture when when, uh, when the oxen is treading out the corn you don't muzzle his mouth you let him eat as he's treading out and he gets part of that as part of his sustenance so it's perfectly right and just to support men and women who give full time to ministry and we they take we get part of that offering that people give for their livelihood so that the work of God can continue now obviously we have a much more fine tuned this day back then what they would do is they would come and they would sacrifice this meat and they would boil it which pretty much you know Uh, you know these great steaks and stuff they you know kind of ruined them (laughs) but but it's a sacrifice you know Uh, but part of their deal is they would take the fork and they'd go into the thing and then whatever they got that's what they got to eat and so it was like kind of random you know you know you're hoping for a good good poke yes you know instead of just you know a piece of a bratwurst or something so uh so that was the deal now but now these rascals they didn't like this It says, but even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificed, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept any boiled meat from you, but raw. So these guys would send the servant out and tell these people, we want want the choice cuts of meat before you boil anything. We don't want you to boil it, man. We want the good stuff, which was wrong. They weren't supposed to be doing this. This stuff was supposed to be sacrificed to God. And these guys weren't supposed to be picking, you know, the best stuff for themselves and hoarding uh, and living fat cats off off of people's offerings. If the man said to him, well, let the fat be burned up first, and then take whatever you want. Okay? In other words, at least, you know, let's burn up the fat. This is supposed to be a a sacrifice to God. They're not supposed to be getting really nice stuff. We're supposed to be just letting this go uh, in worship to God. If they said that to him, then the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So they literally threaten people, when you come We get the best slices of steak, and we'll take it. Then you can go offer the rest. Well, this is really ticking off God. I mean, these guys are really breaking the rules here. This sin of the young man was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Little Samuel. We don't know how old he is at this point, but the boy wearing a linen ephod, each year his mother made him a little robe, and she took it to him when they went up with her husband to the annual sacrifice. And she was always thrilled, Here's I got a robe for you. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one that she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord now Eli who was very old uh, and also pretty chubby we hear later uh, old fat guy anyway so uh, he was very old and he heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and more than just taking the choice things check it out and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent so they're like, they're like hitting on the chicks and having sex with the girls that were supposed to be uh, serving the Lord at the tent and they, these guys are pigs big time pigs and Eli knew about it, but sadly, he didn't really do anything about it. And I don't know what he was thinking, but it's not unusual. Oftentimes, uh, you run into guys, they know their kids are doing really bad things, or know about this, that, or the other. I know of elders in churches who know of someone else who's acting very, very badly. At the end of the day, they don't do anything, and, uh, which is, is wrong. But he did talk to him. He, he said, he says, Why are you doing such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it's not good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins uh, against another man, if you sin against another man, then God can mediate for you. But if you sin against God, who's going to intercede for you? You're, you're sinning directly against God, you nimrods. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Uh, now, the explanation there is... Um, you know, Jesus basically taught us that no man can come to the Father except God draws him in the first place. Your ability even to repent and turn of your sins and ask God to forgive you is a gift from God. Okay? So, what he's saying here is God was so ticked off at these guys, he didn't give them the ability to repent of their sin because God was going to kick their butts. Because he was really ticked off. Okay? Okay? Okay, so but but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. I'm 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 doing a a, a teaching on this. I I just started on Sunday, and we're going to be doing a series of teachings. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, when it when it comes to dealing with badly behaving people, uh, what you know, it doesn't do enough just to say anything to them. You know, there needs to be consequences, and I'm going to be teaching on that. So a little rabbit trail here, but. Uh, there needs to be consequences and people are so scared to death of consequences even in churches today nobody wants to have consequences and if somebody's acting real badly some guy's out, acting outrageously in the church the church says to the women well just submit you know they just reach for the only scripture they know because they're so uncomfortable with consequences and uh, consequences are what speaks to men okay Overwhelmingly, and, and women, too, I mean, that, that uh, are acting badly. They get in the same situation. So it's not always a guy thing, but, but a lot of times it is. And oftentimes I will talk to women who their husbands are acting horribly. And sometimes they've been doing this for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And I say, well, what do you do when they act that way? Well, I tell them how it makes me feel. Well, that's like speaking Swahili to the guy, you know. All he's hearing is wah. wah, wah, wah. Listen, a badly behaving man is not motivated by what he hears. He's motivated by the consequences of his actions. Okay? Somebody say amen. amen. All right? And there's dad. Well, I talked to him. I talked to him. Well, whoopies, they can do. He didn't do anything. There are no consequences. And overwhelmingly, at the end of the day, men are driven and motivated by consequences. What is the result of my action? if you can act very badly and you still win at the end of the day, most men will continue to act very, very badly. Uh, Again, women can be the same way, but this is particularly true with guys. Anyway, so the big mistake here that uh, Eli did, he did what so many women do in very bad marriages, which is nothing. Talk. Anyway then, uh, so that's what's going on with those guys. And then the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord. So now we read about a guy who comes to Eli, he's a prophet. And he's, God sends him there because God's ticked off with Eli. Because he doesn't do anything. This is what the Lord says: Did I not clearly reveal to you, myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest. Because he's the line of the priesthood here. Uh... And to go up to my altar and to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. And I also gave your father's house, all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering what I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house... And your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your family line. He's basically pronouncing this horrible curse on them that everybody in your family is going to die early. Like, yikes. Uh, You will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family land, there will never be an old man. Everyone uh, of you that I do not cut off from the altar will, spread, will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. So this is like a major curse on Eli and stuff. Again, why? Eli didn't sin. Eli didn't take the thing. Eli wasn't having sex with these girls, but he was guilty. Why? Because he did nothing. He had a responsibility as the head of his home. He did nothing. The guilt is passed on to him. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas will be assigned to you. They'll both die on the same day. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. Guess who that's going to be? Little Samuel. And I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family will come and bow down before him a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead you know appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat basically because they were the line of the priesthood they'd have to come to this new priest and basically beg for a job okay this they had this wonderful status in uh, the uh, nation of Israel and all that was taken from them because of the way they were behaving and because the father did nothing about it All right, so now the boy, boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a sad statement. But I just, I thought, man, as I was reading this, I thought, oh, my gosh, I wonder if that's where we're at today. You know, it just kind of seems like the word of the Lord right now is rare. You know, I think there's all sorts of reasons for it. I think the church is in such bad shape. And we are, we're, we're, you know, God is calling us to a higher level and, and Jerking the slack out of the church And helping us get things right But we have had our value system So upside down and backwards And, as in such, and such an insult to God We don't view it as an insult to God But it is And, uh, and I think it's one of the reasons That today the word of the Lord Is rare in, in the church And there aren't a lot of Supernatural things happening Like they should be If you read the book of Acts And you look at our church today You can't help but be just broken hearted by the stark reality that we are nowhere near where we should be in a spiritual sense. Of course, there's nothing we can force about it. We can't fake it. Uh, quite frankly, I feel, that this is my personal opinion, don't get mad at me. Uh, if you get mad, send an email to Lathan. But, uh, but uh, I think that uh, uh, in, in recent decades, that's exactly what has happened. I think the church has faked it. I think even in, in charismatic circles and stuff we've gotten involved in behaviors and stuff that uh, they're just playing church and they're playing games and they're going through motions and you know uh, instead of us actually experiencing real miracles we're you know debating on who should fall on the floor or not I mean it, it's just good grief you know and why, why such a passion for it? because we need something we need to experience God we need to experience God so we got to come up with something to say that we're experiencing God, and and I know there's there's a lot of people who would really disagree with me on that, but that's my personal belief. I just think that uh, the church has been so desperate for the power of God that we're acting and behaving in ways that we call the power of God, but it's really not all that biblical. I don't even know what the point is in half of it, and uh, and there's, there's been all kinds of things, and uh, and I think it's sad. I think rather than pretending that we have the power of God I think we should uh, come before the Lord and weep and cry and repent and admit that we're not experiencing the power of God like we should be and ask for the real deal I want the real deal somebody say amen Amen. I'm not playing games we're not going to be here and just generating a bunch of you know people in a froth and a lather just to gin up something that we call the power of God I promise you when the power of God comes everybody's going to know it and you're going to know it and the pagans and the heathens are going to know it they're going to holy cow look at those people Stuff's happening, okay? That is a commentary by Mark (laughs) Gunger. So, for what it's worth. You don't have to clap, but I just... (laughs) That's my my personal take on that. So, uh, anyway. (sighs) Moving on. Anyway. So, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying in his usual place. So, he's lying down. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord. Where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered. Here I am. So the boy literally hears a voice. Samuel. And here I am. And he thinks it's Eli. So he ran to Eli and said. Here I am you called me. And Eli said I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called. Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said here I am you called me my son Eli said I did not call go back and lay down <laughs> poor Samuel I'm a little confused there now Samuel did not yet know it was the Lord the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him so the Lord called Samuel a third time Samuel and he's just an obedient boy man every time he heard the voice he just popped up and ran in and he went to Eli and said here I am you called me then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy so Eli told Samuel go lie down and if he calls again say speak Lord for your servant is listening so Samuel went and lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood there and whenever it says that it's virtually always referring to an angel, but they use it synonymously. We've talked about that. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said this to Samuel. See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hear it tingle. At the time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves corruptible or contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Fathers, hear the word of this. The judgment on him because he failed to restrain his sons. It's not me, it's my boys. Ah, 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 ah. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. These are very strong words. He says, My judgment is going to be so hard on them, they can't even pray their right way out of this deal now it sounds really harsh but what they were doing was really wrong and the fact that they're supposed to be serving God but they're seducing women that are supposed to be there serving God I mean these guys were reprobates well Samuel lay down till morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he was afraid to tell Eli the vision why? because this young boy God calls him says what do you want? tell Eli I'm going to kill him and his kids well that's not news you want to share with people especially if it's about that. but Eli called and said Samuel my son And he said, here I am. What did he say to you? Eli said, don't hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. And so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Now, what was wrong with Eli? I have no stinking idea. You know, I mean, obviously he was a major pacifist. If he took a flag page, I had a bunch peace country through the ceiling, you know. It was just fine. God made everybody different. It's wonderful. There's lots of people that just love to be peaceful and want to get along with it. But man, you can't get so peaceful and get along with everybody that you uh, are afraid to confront bad behavior. And uh, it's, it's it's a sad thing. And this guy, he was just whatever. It's God. Let him do what he wants to do. It, nowhere does he ever even so much as try to really jerk the slack out of these boys. And bring them to account. All he does is talk, and it has no impact on them. So the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. What a cool statement that is! Let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, he was so anointed and so blessed that everything he said had effect in power. Wow! Isn't that cool? None of your words fall to the ground, man. My words, man. I fall on the ground, bouncing off walls, into the ceiling. I don't know what's happening with my words, you know, but to, some of them get through. But to man, to be that anointed, to have that much power that everything you say had power and effect. Wow, very cool. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And chapter 4, verse 1, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. That's really where they should have broke the chapter. I don't know what they did it there, but they did anyway so now next week we will pick this up and we're gonna see what happens now as they encounter the Philistines what happens to Hophni and Phinehas these two rascals and what happens to Eli the judgment of God is gonna fall and uh, and then the Ark of the Covenant you know the Indiana Jones thing you know ooh, 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 gets captured by the enemies and it's a very cool story it's very fascinating to find out what happens uh, The the ark brought them such grief they couldn't take it anymore. They sent it back. (laughs) And it's it's very cool. It's a great story. As we read what happens as the Philistines try to keep the ark of the covenant. Uh, Fascinating, fascinating story. So we'll pick that up uh, next week as we continue. And the ushers can come at this time and the uh, musicians can come back and uh, do this deal. So now what what we're going to see now is... uh, so obviously, Eli's gonna bite the dust here, uh, literally. And, uh, and then Samuel becomes the prophet. And then the people come to Samuel and they beg for a king, something God didn't want them to have. And he gives them a king and we're gonna see how he decided who the king was going to be. His name was Saul, Saul. And, uh, and he became a mess. And then he goes to the next in line, a little guy by the name of David. And uh, we'll see how this whole thing transpires. It's really fascinating stuff. Thank you, Father, for your word and for the truth of your word. And uh, as we read these scriptures, Lord, of of what happened so many years ago, help us always to learn from this. Help us to take care. Help us to emulate uh, the great things of faith that these people did and to avoid bad examples of people who failed so terribly before you help us to be people that have a heart and a desire to do what's right in your sight thank you for this time we ask you to bless this offering now Uh, help us to use this money uh, for the advancement of your kingdom god meet the needs of the church lord help us lord to build your kingdom we pray in jesus name and everybody said Amen. amen